trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you walking daily by the Savior's side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you rest each moment in the crucified? more oh, 
sing. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my tomb till I met you. I was breathing but not Alive, all my failures I tried to hide. It was my tomb till I met you. Amen. You called my. Call me a citizen of heaven when I was proud. 
thankful for that glorious day that you got saved. Thank you guys for being here. You can be seated for just a moment. Uh, we are so glad you guys are here worshiping with us this morning. I uh, want to do a quick introduction. This is Mr. Andrew Ashby, who is coming to uh, help lead us in worship from Advance. Advance, North Carolina. If you don't know where that is, like me, uh, it's about 20 minutes outside of Winston-Salem. Uh, so we are so glad Andrew's here, um, and he's brought a couple of other people with him as well. Uh, so we are so grateful for Andrew uh, to be coming and leading us in worship. Hope you grabbed a bulletin on your way in. A lot of announcements in there, a lot of things coming up, um, a lot of things that we need volunteers for. Um, we have the Parents' Night Out coming up in March, and we are in uh, serious need of some people to help with that. Uh, VBS is going to be coming up soon. Need volunteers for that. Um, a lot of things coming up in the next many weeks and stuff. Uh, one other announcement I want to bring your attention to really quickly in your bulletin. Uh, if you are a part of the music search team, uh, there is going to be a meeting tomorrow night at 6.30 in the fellowship hall. Uh, so if you're a part of that team, try to make every effort to be there if you can. Thank you guys again for being here. Let's take a moment to pray together as we uh, continue to worship. Lord, we are just so humbled and honored just to be able to be here in your presence. Lord, your glory holds a weight like none other. As the better Adam, you are our perfect representative before the Father. As our better Moses, you are the true lawgiver. Lord, as our better Aaron, you are our great high priest who has made the perfect sacrifice and given the full atonement that we need. Lord, above all, you are just better than anyone and anything else. There's none who can dare stand beside you. None dares to become your equal. You are unmatched and unrivaled in every way. And Lord, for such a God, how humbling it is that we can come into your presence, that we can come and worship you, that you give us this time to know you, to be in your presence. And Lord, we feel your glory right now. So Lord, continue to pour out your spirit upon this place. Continue to put a heart of worship and a heart of passion within each and every one of us. I want to pray for our brother Andrew who has come, and I thank you for your work in his life, the ministry that he is bringing. I pray that you would just use him as he ministers to us here today. So Lord, we give this time to you the one who deserves it all, the one who will do all things, the one who is great beyond all comparison. And we give ourselves to you, Lord, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Anybody, let's go ahead and stand back up one more time. How many of you have had something going on this week? Oh, come on. Every hand should be going up. Amen? Every hand. Whether we want to admit it or not, we've all had something that we have that we're battling Friend, I'm here to tell you, I may not know what it is that you're going through, but I know who that battle belongs to, and that is Jesus Christ, and it's only through him that you can see any victory. Amen? Let's sing this. When all I see is a battle, you see my victory. 
Let's pray the offertory prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you for blessing us to be here today, Lord, and I can already feel your spirit moving in, in me, I hope for the whole congregation. Lord, we, we thank you for all your blessings of this week, and Lord, um, this song that we just heard, it was a song I needed to hear. Lord, I pray for those who are going through different struggles this week, just know, let them know that you're with them, that you're walking beside them, that you're carrying them, you're always there comfort them. Lord, I, the offering that we're going to give, I pray that it'll just glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our next song, uh, I can't take, I do take full responsibility for this. Any kids who want to go to kids' church, you guys can go meet at the back door. <laughs> I would say it will be the only time, but I can't promise you it'll be the only time I forget. Well, amen, I, I know we've sung about how God can help us fight our battles, and he's the only one that can fight him, amen? amen? Let's sing about his greatness, shall we? If you know this song, I want you to outsing me on this as, as loud as you can, but don't do it just for your sake. Do it from your heart to the Lord, amen? He's the only one worthy of any praise, any honor, any glory, amen. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice, it trembles at his voice. How great is our God? Sing with me, how great is our God? No Oh, we'll see how great 
Amen. Y'all can have a seat just for a little bit. Now, I love this next song right here. I don't know if any of you have heard it on the radio or not over the last probably two or three years, I would say. And we've already kind of touched on it. And I think it's something that always bears repeating, even if I've said it 65 times up here. I'll say it another 65 if I have to. I've said he's worthy of praise. He's worthy of honor. He's worthy of our song, isn't he? Let's sing this this morning. I'm gonna sing till my heart starts changing. Oh, I'm gonna worship Till I mean every word Cause the way I feel And the fear I'm facing Doesn't change who you are Or what you deserve Amen I give you my worship Cause you still deserve it You're worthy You're worthy Blessing and breaking, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy of my song. Now I'm gonna live like my king is risen, gonna preach to my soul that you've already won and even though I can't see it I'm gonna keep believing that every promise you've made is as good as done I give you my worship cause you still deserve it you're worthy you're worthy the lyrics up here this bridge personally means a lot to me because seven months ago I was in this very exact situation I had had a seizure and in that process pretty much destroyed every part of my right side almost broken shoulder for lack of another term, a mutilated ankle. And I was in a hospital for 72 hours, countless more, wondering what was going on and 
why in the world now? But I'm here to tell you something. And like I said at the beginning, I don't know what it is everybody's been facing this week. Maybe it's financial hardship. Maybe it's relationship trouble. Maybe it's something that maybe nobody else knows that you're going through. But I'm here to tell you something. The only thing that kept me going while I was stuck in a bed for the better part of six months, not able to really do much, if anything, other than physical therapy, was Jesus. So, like I said, I don't know what it is that you've got going on, but let me tell you, friend, Jesus alone can get you through it. We all got something that we're facing. Give it to the Lord this morning. And if you don't know Him as your Savior, if you don't know what His grace and mercy is, I pray that you would come to know Him. I pray that you would know Him before you walk out of this building. Before it's eternally too late. on bed you were worthy she can barely lift her head you were worthy and after all those tears were shed you were worthy oh never stop singing your praise no never stop singing your praise and in the blessing and the pain you were worthy whether you say yes or no or wait you are worthy and through it all I choose to say you are worthy no I'll never stop singing your praise no I'll never stop singing your praise and when I finally see your face I'll cry worthy
these tears away, I'll cry worthy above every other name. You are worthy. Oh, never stop singing your praise. No, never stop singing your praise. May we never stop singing the praise of the one who's worthy of it. That would be Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you again, Andrew, uh, for, for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, I think it's safe to say that among all of us that are here, uh, I think it's safe to say that all of us can agree that God is good, that he is good. Uh, I've seen it. I know many others in this room have seen it. And the fact that he was good then, the fact that he's good now, doesn't change the fact that he will continue to be good through it all. I'm glad we have a good God. By a quick show of hands, how many of you before today are familiar with Nehemiah chapter number 7? <laughs> we got one. <laughs> we got one. We're going good. Well, it just so happens that this is the passage that I'm, I'm scheduled to preach this morning, Nehemiah chapter 7. If you haven't been familiar with it, I don't blame you, uh, because we are at the point in Nehemiah where we are looking at the recorded census of those who were helping to build the wall, those who will help repopulate Jerusalem and the such. So, Nehemiah chapter number 7, let's read the first couple of verses together. Now, when the wall was rebuilt, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, and the singers, and the Levites were appointed, then I put Hanani, my brother, and Hananiah, the commander of the fortress, in charge of Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also, appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post, and each in front of his own house. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few, and the houses were not built." Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the people to be enrolled by genealogies. Then I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up first in which I found the following record. Let's take a moment to pray again together. Holy God, as we are still finding our sense of awe, at the presence of your glory. We cannot help but continue to proclaim that you are a good God. And as such, you are totally, completely, and fully worthy of all of our praise, all of our honor, 
all of the blessing we can give, for you are worthy. Lord, you have brought us to this place. You have brought us to this time where we are now looking into your word. You've brought us to this passage for this day, for this moment, for a reason. So as we study your word, Lord, continue to do your perfect and your good work in and through us. Continue as our great teacher to speak to us. As we sit at your feet, eager to hear, ready to learn. We pray that these words would not just remain words on a page, nor would they remain words that were spoken, but that these would be truths that would be instilled in the hearts and lives of each and every one that is here. By doing so, Lord, we pray that your spirit would change and transform us to continue conforming us into the image of your Son, the Lord Jesus, whose glory is above all other, whose name stands above the rest. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. There are certain truths that as Christians we believe, certain truths that we hold on to no matter what. There are certain truths and doctrines that are non-negotiable in our Christian faith. One of these doctrines is the doctrine of Scripture, the truth of God's Word. By way of introduction, let me read to you from 2 Timothy chapter 3 very quickly. Paul is writing to young Timothy. This is what he says. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. These are truths that we believe as Christians concerning what the Scripture is, what it means to us. And if this is true, what Paul says here in 2 Timothy 3, that all Scripture leads to wisdom that will then lead to grace, which is only found in Jesus, and leads to salvation, then we simply cannot dismiss any such passage of Scripture, even Nehemiah chapter 7, a recorded census. And it's important that we realize that this is more than just a genealogy. This is more than just a list of family names. This is more than just a list of uh, tribes of people. This is a recorded population, recorded in the pages of Scripture. God has put this in his word. We didn't. God has put this in his word. And therefore, it makes this passage, this census, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So we cannot dismiss such a, a passage as, as this, which is why the title for the message today, the question that we're answering is, who cares? Who cares? 
And as we think of this question, we can really understand it in one of two different ways here. We can think of this question in terms of how most people would think of this question. Well, who cares to read a census? Who cares to read through not just names, but numbers? Who cares to read through how many people are here? Who cares to read through why these many people are at this place? Who cares to read all of this? But the second question, the second way we can pose this, and the angle of which we will be looking at this today, why did Nehemiah care to count all these people? Why did Nehemiah care to go count every single person there in Jerusalem who had helped to build this wall? The key really to our understanding of this is found in verse 5 that we read just a moment ago. Then my God put it into my heart. That tells me a couple of things. Number one, Nehemiah knew his relationship with the Lord. He did not say, then God put it into my heart. He said, my God put this into my heart. But number two, this tells me how in tune he is with the Lord. That God said, Nehemiah, good job, the wall's done. Now you get to go count everyone who's here. And he loved his God enough to do it. Who cared? Why would Nehemiah care to count all of these people? As we walk through this census together today, I want us to see three things that I believe God wanted Nehemiah to remember as he counted all of these people in Jerusalem. Number one, Nehemiah needed to remember the purpose. He needed to remember the purpose. Back in Nehemiah chapter 1, which we looked at um, in the beginning of January, the Lord had placed the burden on Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. And now as we are at chapter 7, the wall is done. The, the project is complete. However, Nehemiah cannot forget that God had a reason for that wall to be rebuilt. God had a purpose for that wall to be built around Jerusalem, and that wall stood for a purpose. And Nehemiah could not forget the purpose of the wall that he had just built. The wall was a testament to praise. Note with me at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 7, Nehemiah is putting these people around the walls. The gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites. These are people associated with temple worship. These are the worship leaders of Jerusalem. And these are the people that, now that the wall is built, Nehemiah is saying, you need to stand guard at these doors. You need to be here around the wall." The Israelites had faced so much adversity up until this point in history. And God could not let them forget not just their purpose on earth to praise God, to worship him, but the purpose for Jerusalem. That's the place where worship happened. 
That's the place where the people of God knew that they could come and worship their almighty God. This is the place where they would have church. This is the place where they would sing praises. This is the place where they would read scripture. This was their place of worship. This wall stood as a testament to praise. Jerusalem was the place that held the temple. It was the primary physical location for the people of Israel to worship. It's very interesting that even while they were in exile, even while they were outside of Jerusalem, the Israelites even recognized this truth. Listen to the words of Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it we hung our harps, for there our captors demanded of us songs, and our tormentors mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget her skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy. The people of Israel, even while in exile, even uh, in the midst of being scattered, even in the midst of persecution, they realized that Jerusalem, this was where we come to worship. This is where we come to experience the glory and the presence of God. This wall that is being rebuilt is standing for the people of Jerusalem to look at and remember, this is where we come to praise the Lord. This is where we praise God. This is our place of worship. But it was also there to be a testament of protection. Because this wall was not just to show and and remind them that this is where worship happens, but this was a wall to protect Jerusalem. It was meant to protect the city, but not just the city, but the people as well. It meant to protect the people inside the city. The outsiders, the enemies around Jerusalem tried to find their ways in. And now this wall is built to protect the city, to protect the people that are there. And now Nehemiah puts these certain people in charge of the wall. In verse number 2 and 3, he puts Hanani and Hananiah. These two men in charge of protecting the city putting them in charge of the protection of Jerusalem. And, and there's something even for us to note here, that Nehemiah didn't just put anyone in charge of protection. He didn't just look around and say, you're good enough, you can get protect the wall. He put people with good, reputable character. These men, Nehemiah says at the end of verse 2, a faithful man and feared God more than many. You see, Nehemiah was very strategic in his uh, using of protection because he wanted the people who are protecting Jerusalem to not only care about Jerusalem, but to care about the God of Jerusalem. These are men who had great, outstanding character. These are men who had reputations that were very high. And that should say something to us today. 
That when we think of those certain leaders that we put in place, are we putting people in place just to have a spot filled, or are we putting them there because they are faithful and they fear God? This wall stood as a testament. It it reminded them of their praise to God, of the protection that He is bringing to Jerusalem. Nehemiah needed to remember the purpose of why this wall is built. But also, Nehemiah needed to remember the people. Nehemiah needed to remember the people. Now here comes our fun part. Because most of this chapter is the census. The counting of all of the families and the tribes, those who have come to Jerusalem to help rebuild the wall. Now, all of these places are not Jewish places. However, all of the people that are counted are the Jewish people from these places. These are the people of Israel being counted together as one body after that wall had been built. Now, if you're not careful, you'll miss the fact that there are really two types of people within this census. And we cannot miss either group. The first group is the people in the present. The people in the present. The work's done. The purpose of the wall has been reinstituted. But, note with me back in verse number 4. The city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. The wall was done. The job is complete. However, there's no one in Jerusalem. There's no one living inside the city. There's no one there. In fact, there's really about one-tenth of the population living inside. One-tenth of the population of Jerusalem that is living inside the city. Through all the hardships that they had faced, I think it's safe to say that the Israelites had forgotten their identity. They had forgotten who they were. Not only are these Jewish people, not only are they wall builders, not only are they Israelites, even further than that, these are God's chosen people. They had faced so much persecution and adversity, even coming into the building of the wall as we looked at previous chapters. And it's clear that a good many of them had forgotten who they were. As God's chosen people. When we allow adversity and trials, persecution, hard times, when we allow that to keep us away from where God has intended us to be, we lose sight of that identity as his person. We lose sight of that identity as his child. God has a place for each and every one of us to be in. He has a Jerusalem for us to be in. And when we allow every kind of obstacle, even though the work may look done, even though it looks like it's good, even though everything may look right, 
And we still allow those hardships to keep us outside of that place. We forget who we are. We forget who we belong to. That's what these Israelites are doing. They have spent so much of their lives, so much of their time outside of Jerusalem. For many of these, it was a good 70 years in exile. But now the wall is built. Now the the place of Jerusalem is ready to be inhabited again. Because this is where God has put his people to be. Nehemiah needed to remember that these people, these Israelites who had just helped him build this wall, they needed Jerusalem. They needed to be in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem needed to be populated with these people. The second group of people we see here in the census is the people of the past. The people of the past. This list, this census, is very similar to the census found in Ezra chapter 2. With very slight differences. In the book of Ezra, we have a certain group of Jewish people coming from exile to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. The temple that was destroyed, they're coming to have it rebuilt. And Ezra, in Ezra 2, makes a census of everyone who is coming to rebuild the temple. Now in Nehemiah chapter 7, this census is the people who have come to rebuild the wall. Now, there's a lot of people that will say, well, Brandon, I've looked at Ezra chapter 2 and I've looked at Nehemiah chapter 7 and these two don't add up. The numbers aren't the same. Some are higher, some are lower. So it can't be the same. And if it is, then the Bible must be wrong. However... We have to understand that Nehemiah is using a copy of the census from Ezra chapter 2, just as the basis for his. Not only that, but we have to also keep in mind that there is a 90-year difference between Ezra chapter 2 and Nehemiah chapter 7, meaning that there are people who have not only died since then, but people who have been born since then. Even further than that, there is another group of people who have come along with Nehemiah to help rebuild the wall. The differences can be explained. The differences can be seen very clearly. But if we're looking at this principle of looking at these people from the past, and Nehemiah looking back at Ezra chapter 2, we have to remember this principle. Looking to the past, To see what God is doing in the present. Looking to the past to see what God is doing in the present. There's much importance and value in our learning and treasuring history. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I'm not a history buff. I'm not a fan of history. However, there is definite treasure and definite value in history. And this principle needs to be instilled in our lives as believers. We have to look back to the saints of Scripture to see how they faced certain situations and how they have come through, to see how God had used them in certain situations. 
We need to look back to the fathers of the faith. The men who have stood the test of trial. The many women who have stood the test of trial. Men and women who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. We need to look back to those who have exemplified what true Christian living in. Those who have proclaimed truth until their very last breath. Because it is these people from the past that we can see how God is working right now and how God will continue to work from now until eternity. We need to go to the history books and look at these names. We need to look through church membership records and look at these names of people. This is going to sound very dark, but I can even explain this. Even walking through a cemetery. I had a lady one time a couple of weeks ago who needed to find a plot in our cemetery. So I went and I helped her to find that certain plot. And as we're walking through the cemetery of a church I have been a part of for 16 years. And I see names of men and women who I knew. Men and women who have left a legacy. Men and women who have left a mark. Not just for First Baptist but for the kingdom of God. Men and women who have proved God's faithfulness. Men and women who have proved the goodness of God. There is definite treasure in looking through the names, in looking at the people. Because when we see these names, I am sure of you, when Nehemiah is counting all of these people and recording their names, He doesn't realize that there will be a good number of people at First Baptist Locust on February 25th looking at them, remembering the work that God had done in their life. But there's treasure and value in looking to the people of the past. He needed to remember these people. We need to remember the people. The wall is built. Nehemiah had to remember its purpose. He needed to remember the people. But lastly, Nehemiah needed to remember a promise. He needed to remember the promise. God's promises are faithful and true. And if God's promises are faithful and true, then so is he. To keep those promises. And as Nehemiah and these people are looking at this wall, I can't help but think of of their remembering these promises that he has made to them. He made a promise to restore them. While the walls were torn down, it was easy to think that God had forgotten the Israelites. But when had God forgotten them before? We tend to quote Jeremiah 29 very often. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. That verse was written to these Jews while they were in exile. While they're in the midst of darkness, while they're in the midst of a foreign land, God writes to them and says, I haven't forgotten about you. I still have a plan to restore you from where you are. 
and as a reminder that God would not abandon and leave his people. And even now, Ezra rebuilt the temple, and now the wall is done. In chapter 2 of Zechariah's prophecy, he declares that while Jerusalem has a physical wall around it, God is the ultimate wall of fire, of protection around his people. And when we are in these moments, like the Israelites, when the temple is destroyed, when the wall is down, and we don't know what's next, and we don't know how we're going to make our way through, we have to always remember that God has made a promise to always restore us back. And He always will. He's never left. And He never will. But God also made a promise. To redeem. God had already always made a promise to bring salvation. It's been clear since the beginning of time itself. And there's no enemy to evil. There's no force to wicked to keep God from bringing salvation. There's nothing that can stop it. Jeremiah chapter number 31. We, we know this to be a very familiar passage. Jeremiah is a weeping prophet, we call him. But he's the prophet to the Jews in exile. To these Jewish people. And in Jeremiah 31, he writes about the new covenant of grace that will be brought in with this coming Messiah. And listen to the very end of what he says. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. When the city will be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, the measuring line will go out farther straight ahead to the hill Gerib. Then it will turn to Goa and the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all of the fields as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east. It shall be holy to the Lord. It will not be plucked up or overthrown anymore. Forever. These are the same places and locations as this wall. And in this prophecy, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah says, Yes, I will rebuild Jerusalem, but there's more. There's more coming. You see, the people and the families mentioned here in Nehemiah chapter 7, they thought they were just rebuilding a wall. They thought they were just building this wall. But God was using them and that wall to bring salvation to all mankind. Because not only would the Messiah himself be a Jewish person, but the cost of our salvation, the price of redemption, the cross of Calvary was right outside the gate and wall of Jerusalem. See, God's plan, it doesn't just end with a wall around Jerusalem. Because there's a promise of a new Jerusalem. There's a promise of a better Jerusalem coming. A Jerusalem that has golden streets. A Jerusalem that has a crystal sea. A Jerusalem that has the light of glory. The true temple, the Lord Jesus Christ. Himself. The only inhabitants of this Jerusalem 
are those who are part of the census. Those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. God saw what Nehemiah couldn't see. Nehemiah saw Jerusalem. Nehemiah saw a wall. God saw the bigger picture. God saw that salvation was coming. And this wall was just another brick in the bigger Jerusalem that was coming. So as we come to the end of Nehemiah chapter 7, you didn't think we could get through it, did you? I close with one question. Do you care to remember? Do you care to remember? To the believer who's here today. We look around, we see the work that God has done, we see the ministry being done, and we see the service all around us. Are we looking to the past? Are we looking to see where we came from? Are we looking to the present to see where we are? What is God doing right now? Are we looking to the future? Do we have eternity in mind? Because eternity matters forever. To those who are here today, you may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As you look around you, you see ministry. You see service being done around you. Can you see God's plan of redemption for you? You see, there's a group of people towards the end of Nehemiah chapter 7 who were excluded from this census. A group of people mentioned by name who were excluded from the count of the people. For one reason, they couldn't prove their Jewish heritage. Some of these people were even priests. Can you prove that your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life today? You may be a, a good moral person. You may come to church all the time. You may read your Bible. You may utter prayers every now and then. But is your name written in the census of life? If not, Today's the day to be counted. Today's the day to be part of that number. Because the guy counting the census, he's here. Ready to meet you. Waiting for you to come. And in simple faith, cling and trust to him. Just because the job looks done, just because the project may be finished, doesn't mean the work is done. You see, we could have easily skipped over Nehemiah 7 and gone straight into Nehemiah 8. The rebuilding of the wall is done. Nehemiah 8 brings in a whole group of revival in Jerusalem and spiritual life that flourishes within the city. But the job wasn't ready for that. The wall was done, but the work wasn't. The work's not done. Until God says it's done. And God had put it in Nehemiah's heart to count these people. What is God putting in your heart to do? 
until God says the work's done, until he says we're finished. Let's care to remember. Let's keep remembering. Father, as we again look to you for grace, and we again look to you for our help, we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. We thank you for his leadership. We thank you that you have instilled within him a heart to care for the work that you have placed before him. Lord, give us that heart. Give us a heart to care about the work that you have placed before us. We may not understand why you want us to do these things. We may not grasp the, the grand weight of why we're doing this. But you see the bigger picture. You see what lies ahead when we don't. So help us to care to remember that the work's not done. Now, there's still things to be done and that you are ready to use us to do it. Help us to look back to those in the past, those who have left their legacy, those who have left their mark. For those people, we thank you for their legacy. We thank you for their lives and their testament. May you use us to leave that same legacy behind, a legacy that not points to us, a legacy that not points to First Baptist Locust. A legacy that points to the glory of you and your kingdom that is eternal. Help us to remember. Help us to keep looking ahead. There's still work to be done. Help us, Lord, to care to remember. I pray for each of us that is here that you would continue to move on our hearts and lives. Move us to the place where we respond in obedient, simple faith to you. The God who has built the wall. The God of the new Jerusalem. Have your perfect way in and among us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and join us as we sing? Unto Jesus I Surrender all to Him I free give. I will never love and trust Him in His presence daily. Say
Jesus, take me last verse. Sing that chorus again. Thank you again for being here. Would you join me in thanking Andrew uh, for coming to We Worship this morning? And brother, I'm going to invite you to come with me to the back door to greet everyone on their way out. Pastor Tommy, would you mind closing us in prayer this morning? Well, let's pray. Our Father and our God, how good it has been to be in your house with your people today, to be able to gather around your word and to glean the truth, the principles, the, 
the facts of, of who we are and how you work in our life. We just pray that the Holy Spirit of God who moved upon the heart, the mind, and the hand of Nehemiah now will inscribe these words upon our heart, that we'll carry them with us as we leave here today. We've done more than have just a Bible study or heard another sermon, but today, Lord, our lives have been transformed and impacted by the living, breathing Word of God. We thank you, Lord, for all that you've done for us. We thank you for Andrew, his family that's with us today, Lord. We pray your blessings over them. Thank you for Brandon. Thank you for how you've used him today, Lord. We just pray that, that God, as we leave here today, we'll leave with grateful hearts, a celebration in our heart, because we know that we've been counted. Our name has been written down, and we belong to you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Dismiss us now with your great love. Is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.